Yo, welcome to Stars Podcast, the home of Growth Mindset Moment, where we break down the habits, hacks, and protocols the stars use while relentlessly moving forward to maximize our daily potential. If this is your first time, welcome to the fam. If you're a longtime listener, thank you for stopping back. Our guests range from entrepreneurs, C-suite pros, Web3, NFT, and crypto enthusiasts, jujitsu athletes, fitness instructors, mindset coaches, lawyers, and everything in between. They may seem different on the surface. However, when we start to break down the systems they all live by, we quickly realize we're all not so different after all. I'm your host, Ron Jordan, along with my co-host, Alyssa Jordan, coming out of Rosinante Studios in Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania. Let's get into the journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Growth Mindset over here at Stars Podcast. This week, we have a special guest coming into the studio. Um, This person ran a marathon in the metaverse, wearing the goggles, doing the whole thing. Uh, They also raised a ton of money for an amazing cause. They're a founder of an NFT project called Based AF. Uh, I believe you guys call yourself Based Heads. And um, yeah, I want to jump into where this journey started, how we got to where we're at, and running a marathon and raising a ton of money. I believe it was almost $100,000. Robin Schmidt, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes, indeed. Yeah, all of the above is correct. Apart from one tricky little detail, which is I didn't run a marathon in the metaverse. I ran an ultra marathon oh, in the metaverse. We can let get me, into let it why. be clear. Yes, and there is a difference. Oh, big uh, difference. The difference. The difference was important for for lots of different reasons. Uh, I think it kind of ties into this idea of mindset as well, um, and just kind of setting boundaries and goals for yourself around things. So the the basically the the long and the short of it is I'm a content creator. I've been making videos for 20 odd years now. And I found myself in front of the camera on YouTube about two and a half years ago, working for a Web3 media publication called The Defiant. And over the course of that time, I interviewed tons of NFT projects. I interviewed tons of people who connected to the metaverse. And one of the things that kind of stood out to me through all of this was how dehumanizing so much of it appeared to be and how it was just kind of about money and it was about technology and AI was coming up and all of it was just like, well, where's the human being in all of this? Are we simply breeding the future inventions, which will replace us in a horrible dystopian future? And I try not to think that way. I'm a very optimistic leaning kind of human being. And so when I was thinking about what I would do next and the metaverse was the topic I wanted to cover for lots of different reasons, the things that kept coming back to me was like, how do we make this more human? How do we make this entire subject matter appeal to people in ways that they're actually going to give a shit about and actually going to want to talk about? Because if we can do that, then we can start to change the dialogue around it and maybe change the way that it grows up. So it isn't just owned by Mark Zuckerberg and Meta, that it's actually got a piece for us human beings in there. So like the first film that we wanted to make, the big kind of coming out party, I was like, what can we do? that's really going to put that question in perspective. What's the most kind of alarmingly physical thing I can do in a virtual space? And it was run a marathon. It's like this bucket list item, right? You, you know, you think 26 miles, you think doesn't seem that far, but then you ask anyone who trains for a marathon, it's a big deal. It really is a big deal. Physically, your body's not designed to be active for that long, especially not under load. It's a really big deal. So it seemed like the perfect fit for telling the story of the metaverse in a way that opened up this box of worms around human participation and human engagement, but in this digital world. So that's what we did. 
Yeah, and and that's interesting that that's the question that you set out to accomplish and, and answer was to how to humanize it because that is something that especially with all the invention of of AI that's coming out a big time this year. I mean, it's been it's been in our our forefront or in the periphery rather for a long time, but now that it's like really making a splash this year, I think that you being able to answer that question how to make it human is a really interesting one for me and I I actually had never thought about it that way because yeah, we're we're essentially replacing a ton of what humans do uh, with AI. And what, um, so whenever you're asking that question, how to humanize it, what were some of the other options of like how to humanize it? Or was it always just let's, let's do this. Was there a list of items that you were like, ah, maybe we could do this, this, or this, or was it, Hey, I'm well, going to, I'm going to run it. Yeah. Well, they, we are a, we are a YouTube channel and therefore we have to produce a ton of content. We have to come up with ideas all the time. And, and so a lot of those ideas will come out of the news headlines that come out of something that somebody's built, a piece of technology that's come out. And I think when we talk about how to humanize it, it's just figure out a way to tell the story in a human way, figure out where human beings fit into that piece of technology and how they might use it, how they might be presented within it. And also how they might develop and grow in ways that we're not expecting because, you know, technology always changes human behavior. And as we're starting to see now with mobile phones, it's actually changing our physical beings as well. Like, you know, adult males in the US have problems with their third and fourth vertebrae, which is a problem that only happens if you spend your entire time hunched over a phone like that. That's just a normal thing. There's this kind of idea that kids' retinas are starting to slightly change shape as a result of all the screen time. That's a real deal. And, and so, that's, and that's like a, that's in a really short period of time too. Whenever you're yes. talking about evolution or de-evolution, is like these things usually take hundreds, if not thousands, of years to to happen. And and you're we're seeing that in a really abbreviated period of time, which is yeah, really we interesting. Are. We are, and, and if you follow the writings of the great Ray Kurzweil and transhumanism and all these kind of things, I feel like we're, we're entering the age in which transhumanism as a category, as a subject, will start to really take flight as chips are embedded in our skulls that have chat GPT on them. And like you are, well, basically what we're looking at is a, is a new type of class system being created, one that is technocentric, and that will will be difficult to 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 rationalize and difficult to yeah. legislate for. It, you and know so, those pieces too. Like whenever you start embedding and and doing that, whenever you're talking about a different class system, I'm not actually too familiar with with Ray Kurzweil. Is uh, is that really like whenever you talk about this dystopian future um, that that you alluded to earlier and how to humanize it? Are we seeing like more of of this like meshing of humans and technology like you're talking about whenever you just did the ultra marathon and wearing the glasses like where where does that where does it bridge there to be able to yeah, include us both it's a it's a good question so so ray carswell is a futurist but he's famously the guy that sort of predicted the singularity which is this event in which ai becomes indistinguishable from human intelligence i think most people would have said that was decades off but you interact with ChatGPT, and you suddenly realize that actually it's not, it's not. And it won't be this great kind of switch that goes on when suddenly the machines control everything. It'll slowly bleed into every corner of existence and every corner of life in a way that will happen so fast that we'll simply just have to accept it. And 
that's already happening. You know, it's weird. Like it was already happening before ChatGPT came along. Like every time your phone unlocks, that's AI. You know, it, because it's using your face and it's using data recognition. That's AI. Google search AI. All of these things they are they're already in our lives in a in a kind of strange and wonderful way. I think that the thing that's so confronting now is that they are putting at risk people's livelihoods and confronting us, you know, in the inadequacies of the functions which we perform in the human way that we perform them, because all of us are inefficient by our very nature. We need to sleep. We need to eat. Humans, you know, are, compared to machines are not that efficient. And so every single thing that we thought was sacred and cannot be replaced probably can be. And if it can be, somebody will. And then that will basically, you know, engender this entirely new form of living, which I understand for a lot of people is dystopian. Now you're asking, how do we make the bridge to that? One of the ways to make the bridge is through content. So exposing people to different ways of thinking, exposing people to different ideas about all this stuff and hoping that the audience that surrounds that content believes the same things that you do. That's kind of one of the great powers of YouTube right now is to form these communities. Of course, you get the worst forms of that because you get communities who you might not want to have. Of course. The opportunity yeah, to- Yeah, with the good uh, comes to, the bad. They're just tools, yeah. right? I mean, that's, that's what it all comes back to is all of this, the, the computer, the the microphones, the videos, it's, they're all just tools. You can use them from whatever you want to. You can either build a house or you can, you know, completely destruct something. Um, I'm curious too, like whenever we talk about AI and I'm, I, this is more of philosophical and you can go down this road or you can tell me, nah, I don't want to, um, is like, yes, AI makes everything more efficient and it like creates this ecosystem where industry becomes, uh, it never shuts down. It's always... It's always moving, it's always making, it's always consuming. Is there a point where we as as the humans decide, and this is coming from this book that I just read, it's called Ishmael, if you're if you're familiar with it. Um, it's uh it's about like the spiritual journey of a talking ape and a person. Um, anyhow. And they talk about takers and leavers. And whenever you're talking about the takers, it's all about this. It's it's all about expediting the process, making more, consuming more. And like, is there a point where we say it's too efficient? It, we, we can't be doing these. We can't have industry that never shuts off and we can't have industry that just consumes on an exponential level. Is this like the start of a destructive era for us? Man, you went deep on that one. Okay. Okay. I'll answer. Yeah, I I mean, like I said, the, I thought we were talking about the marathon. Uh, we will, we will, but we we'll went get here. Back to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, I, no, you're absolutely right. There's all of these are questions of scarcity, right? So, scarce resources are valuable and therefore overpriced, and the more scarce they become, you know, the more they are hoarded by those with the wealth to do so, and that's the problem. And there's the most scarce resource on the planet is time. Because we all die, we have a finite amount of time, and we don't actually know when we're going to die. So therefore, we try and cram in as much as possible and hoard as much as possible to pack the lives that we live with as much as we possibly can. And you watch the way people consume TikTok, and they are just literally looking for that dopamine hit again and again and again. Those those little triggers of like joy or happiness or emotion or sensation or something, it's now become just a drip feed mechanism for that. And there's like this scene at the end of Wally, -E where you see the humans on board the ship and they're just kind of going around on these little bumper cars. They're fat 
and entitled and given everything they need. Yep. That is not a bad metaphor for where we are right now. I think about that movie a lot. Yeah. And so one of the things that I think AI will inevitably do, and it was interesting that we kind of got into Ray Kurzweil and transhumanism is within this century is quite likely that human beings will become, will at least achieve the, the ability to become immortal. And so if you're saying that death is no longer a barrier, you're talking about a scarce resource, which is life being rendered eternal, if you want. And that opens up a whole world of different possibilities, because suddenly if you're, if you're no longer scrapping to stay alive and cramming everything you can in the short space of time that you have, then interstellar travel is entirely possible. And if we can colonize other planets, we can diversify, we can become all sorts of different things that you wouldn't have expected before. That changes the game. And I feel like the this new breed of human that is partially fused or entirely fused with AI, because it's going to happen, like whether we like it or not, it is going to happen. It will create that possibility. And if you say to enough people who have enough money, we can make you immortal, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it's already starting to be possible in, in certain small ways, but mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, an, it's a technological and scientific inevitability at this point. And I think people are just starting to realize that. And so a lot of those questions about takers and givers goes away. I will say that there's a caveat to all of this, which is having observed through working in marketing firms and working in trends firms, how human beings operate, we swing wildly from one extreme to another. And that is how fashion works. You know, something gets hot and then we swing back the other way. Trousers were tight and now they're baggy. There is always when there's a massive move in one direction, there is a move in the opposite direction. And it's not always necessarily as big, but having tracked the, the emergence of mobile technology and the way that everything started to become a screen over the last 20 years, what you noticed was a sudden rise in wellness products, a sudden rise in retreats, a sudden rise in the things that allowed us to disconnect. And so you get this, this, I wouldn't say it's an equal balance, but there is a move in the opposite direction, which is felt keenly by those within it to be necessary in order to survive. And that's a very human impulse and a very human instinct to need that, to want that, to have that. And yeah. so in response to extremes of technology, you see these extreme responses in the exact opposite. And I think as long as we can continue that and allow those things to flourish, there is hope. But once that goes away, I think it's a diff different world. Anyway, I have two young kids and I've, I'm a highly optimistic person. Yeah. I see I the metaverse as a as an opportunity to rewrite the wrongs of Web2 in some small way. And I also, I want to believe that if human beings are the ones participating in this, there are going to be some of them that you like, some of them you don't like, but at least they will be human beings. But beyond that, I don't know. For sure. And if we're talking about immortality as well, some may call you immortal by running as far as you did. Uh, so getting back to the ultra marathon that you did uh, and doing it in the metaverse, first off, like where, where does the, have you always been a runner? Is it adult onset running? What got you into it? Uh, we'll start there. I wasn't a runner. My, I was a musician when I was at school. So I, I was band camp geek. I had a terrible haircut, but the voice of an angel 
and I used to play the violin, the piano. I did all that kind of stuff. And around the age of 16, I just decided I didn't want to do that anymore. And I started, uh, I started running, sprinting really, and doing the high jump at school. I became the school athletics captain. I just did a ton of sport. And uh, at the age of 20, I went to university and then I stopped. And really, since that time, I haven't really done much sport at all. I sort of weird genetic freak that doesn't tend to put on weight. So I just sort of got by with it. I like cycling. Don't really like running. Never, ever wanted to run long distance. So it was one of those things. It's like, what's the hardest thing I can think of for myself to do? Because I don't know if you've seen, but like the world of YouTube is full of tough challenges, tough things that people have done. Absolutely. And so there's like, you know, looking for somebody who's run a marathon in 10 days after 10 days training or, you know, whatever. It's 10 a penny. So, you know, the idea of just running a simple marathon in the metaverse wasn't enough. We knew we had to run an ultramarathon because then that actually meant something and it would actually really like be a tough challenge. So, so I set off to see if I could do it, if I could train, if I could get myself into the shape. Uh, and also I just like enjoy, I enjoy learning new things, taking on a new skill. And there is a cheat code for running a marathon and you can crack that code if you put the time in to do it. So I was just curious to see if we could do that. And also like no one has ever done a marathon in the metaverse before, let alone an ultra marathon. So figuring that bit out was also a fun puzzle. Yeah, well. certainly so. What uh what mileage did you do for the ultra marathon? Or I guess kilometers. Did you do kilometers? We did we did kilometers, but it was I, I ran the equivalent of three half marathons. So it was sixty four well, I think it was about sixty five kilometers I ran in the end, but that was the total distance. Yeah, I think that's what, hundred K? No, I, th that was 64 kilometers. So, yeah, so it's, it's around okay. 40 miles. Gotcha. Very good, man. That's that's impressive. Um, it's like if you followed along with us at all, uh, I'm also an ultra marathon runner, and I've kind of stepped up from going. I started couch to 5K. So very early on, I was just like barely running at all, um, like 15 seconds, and now we're doing ultra marathon. So uh, anything – anything over 5k is like incredible to me and even a 5k is absolutely incredible if you're just doing like couch to 5k and you're out there and you're doing it kudos to you um but whenever you're talking about this is something that you were talking about a little bit earlier so you are a youtube channel and you're always trying to create content and trying to hit it's funny like you talk about these dopamine hits on tiktok and then you're also a creator for that I'm curious, like, what the balance is for you whenever you were going through, like, do you feel any responsibility of that, like, being able to kind of not even, not, not like, almost leverage that knowledge of that uh, to create these videos to really get a great response? Um, I'm curious, like, what that process looked like whenever you were talking about doing the ultra marathon instead of the marathon and, like, kind of the the process that it, that it took to get there ah uh, the eternal question yeah it's a it's a it's a dilemma this one so you can look at the likes of mr beast and see the formula for how he's done what he's done you can try and replicate it but there is only one mr beast and there is only one person who's done that the way he's done it so it's not really worth trying to replicate it what you can do though is like trust that you as a storyteller and someone whose journey people will want to watch is a thing that is worth doing. And then you can decide to go one of two ways. I think when it comes to YouTube and 
at the algorithm or the so so-called algorithm you can decide to make content that is designed to hit triggers through retention hacks through all sorts of different things and then inevitably what you'll end up doing is copying what already works or what is perceived to have worked and so you can look at thz or mr beast and you look at the way mr beast videos are made and it's almost impossible to watch because it's so shouty so loud so much happens so quickly yeah that that after a while you're just fatigued and you can't take your eyes away from it because you will miss something and that is for me is a pretty horrific way to put out content because what you're saying is thank you i appreciate that so much please go on um and and so that's basically one way of doing it which is like make content for the algorithm and i i applaud anyone who's able to do that because it, it's soulless work i think and, uh, and i i couldn't do it i think if you're looking for the most the best retention strategy it's tell a good story i suspect a lot of youtubers who make content don't have a story background and they don't understand what storytelling actually is a lot of people talk about storytelling and i'm going to ask you for your definition of story in a second because I think it's really i'm sort of collecting definitions from people as i go but like i'm always curious to hear what people think story is and so for me having spent so long shooting commercials shooting a feature film shooting all sorts of different types of story i have a pretty good story radar now and i know how to put a story together and how to make it fun and the piece that was always missing was putting myself in front of the camera making myself the star of the show but i i, I know how to make a story work just using a 16 mil lens. Like how would I make that part of the story as opposed to a 40 mil lens, which is what I'm shooting this on. Like that is, that's all part of storytelling, but like I, I think a standard YouTuber would would know that, would understand how to create a story simply through the choice of lens. So I've got all these tricks and tools and things that I've learned over the years. And I, I genuinely believe that storytelling, if done well, is as good a retention hack. In fact, it's the best retention hack. So that's where I, hang my hat now there is a recognition as well that before even anyone watches your video they've got to see a thumbnail and a title and those things have got to pop it doesn't matter how good your content is if that stuff doesn't work if the hook isn't there they're not going to watch running an ultramarathon in the metaverse should be a good hook it doesn't make a great title so we have to figure out a better titles and like the fact that I raised a hundred grand for charity is probably what we're going to go for. So it'll be probably like a hundred K marathon man or something like that. <clears throat> Cause it's a play on a hundred thousand, you know, hundred kilometers and yeah. all these kind of things. But that, that, that stuff sucks. I hate it, but it is the window dressing. It's the yeah, it cover to, happen. to yeah. get people through the door. Cause if you don't get them through the door now, that actually weirdly becomes a thing where you road test your idea based on whether you can think of the thumbnail or not. Um, we didn't actually really do that with the marathon. That's because it was the thing that felt like a good pilot episode for what we wanted to do, because it doesn't make an easy thumbnail and it doesn't make an easy title, but we're kind of committed now, but the future episodes we're making definitely have to fall into that category. And then it's about how do we take that story, do it our way, do it with like sauciness and with unexpected twists and turns and put all the stuff that I love into a story so that you will watch to the end. So you were like, oh my God, I didn't see that coming. And then it's about, you know, in, if you, if you learn script writing, like screenwriting for the, for film, one of the things that you start to appreciate is like the structure of the human experience through a film, like a protagonist 
has their lives upended by something that happens. That's called the inciting incident. And then they go through a series of escalating reversals that arrive at a decision point at the end of the movie where they are forced to kind of confront their old lives and hopefully put that behind them and move to a different space when they are transformed by the experience. Now, that doesn't, that's a very simplified version of it. But in order to get them to that place where that decision makes sense, what you're asked to do by screenwriting tutors is really go to the limits of human experience. Like, what is the limit? Of human experience and that doesn't necessarily have to mean like you know you get dragged over hot coals it can be an emotional experience it can be a humorous experience but it's always like how far can we push this so a very clear example is i want to see what it's like to do running in the metaverse because for me there's a lot of people who might do exercise that don't because for various different reasons they don't want to go to the gym they find it hard to go outside and do it they lack the motivation but like if it's just running on a treadmill at home and it can be social so they can do it with their mates. I feel like sport, that kind of thing has a real shot at being a, an early adoption mechanic for the metaverse. So I like, okay, running in the metaverse. Okay, well, what's the, what's the, the most extreme version of that? Marathon. Yeah, but we can go further. Ultra marathon. And that's how we got there. It's not that difficult, but like push, 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 push it further, push it further. And then if you're a viewer, by the end of that video, you're going to be praying for me to finish because I've told a good story, but I have to earn the right to be in a position where you've given me that. And that's where the storytelling comes in. That is absolutely perfect. And given the structure of a story and being able to make the person create a, a, almost like a bond to you to being being there in your corner, pushing for you or rooting against you, like those are the two like sort of avenues that you can go down with that writing piece of it. I'm curious too, whenever you started down this journey, because you said that you're more into cycling than you are into running whatsoever. Um, whenever you started the the training for running the ultra marathon, what did that look like? What type of mileage were you putting in on a weekly? And uh, did your nutrition change? What are some of the, the key factors that you think attributed to ultimately your success in completing it? So I basically had a treadmill that's at the office here. Uh, an indoor treadmill, and I connected it to Zwift. So it was a Bluetooth treadmill. So I was basically running in Zwift. Uh, and that was kind of part of the experience as well. Uh, so we, I think over the course of four weeks, I went from running 15 kilometers a week to by week four, I ran 84 kilometers in that week because I knew I was going filming abroad. So we went to film in Kenya at the high altitude training center there, which is for marathon runners. Uh, and other athletes. And we also went to Mexico to film with ultramarathoners in the Copper Canyon. So this is this tribe called the Raramuri, um, or the Taramara rather, who kind of run up and down hills in sandals made of car tires. They're incredible people. And so I knew I needed to get to a certain level before we went on that trip. So in four weeks, I went from like couch to 5k to running 84k. Uh, so I set myself the challenge of running a, a half marathon on Monday, half marathon on Tuesday, then two 10Ks Wednesday, Thursday, and then another half marathon on Friday just to see if I could deal with it. And then I got injured. <laughs> so, I couldn't imagine why. Uh, yeah, it was. it's an old <laughs> injury that flared up. But actually, the training was going great. Uh, in terms of nutrition, I didn't change anything. Um, I eat pretty healthy anyway, thanks to my wife, who's pretty on that. Um, and I didn't really change a huge amount. Like I just learned how to 
kind of feed myself during these long runs and like on a treadmill you run slower than you do in real life so a half marathon would be two and a half hours and like Eddie Kachobi can run an entire marathon faster in, than in that, about that time <laughs> blows my mind yeah I know uh so so that so I mean that was the whole idea of the training it was there's no way I could become a high performance high speed athlete in this time the the goal was to finish and finish comfortably so it really was about building up an aerobic base so running slow and running long and just kind of getting comfortable with the wear and tear of that the way your knees felt the way um it band would would be sore the next day and dealing with just the kind of mental side of it as well just dealing with kind of getting to 13 kilometers and going i want to stop pushing on getting getting to 21k but treating it like it was 10k and pushing on and going to 24k um those kind of things that was really just it just getting comfortable with the distance and whenever you're talking about the the mental piece of it kind of that mental warfare that begins to happen at those levels because you are hurting your it band as sore as can be everything's really inflamed at that point have you been in those situations where you had to create like this this mindset of there's there's no plan b there's no turning back and um like what were some of the ways that you were able to overcome that willingness and and like that desire to stop yeah <clears throat> well in, in in the training it was i mean we've got a team around me who are expecting me to pull this off and are waiting for me to pull this off that's kind of a motivator because uh, i lead the team and like you know if i say i'm going to do this i need to actually do it <clears throat> that's one thing there's there's also just like i'm quite a it's the word resilient human being like mm -hmm. i'm pretty tough when it comes to just carrying on going with stuff and with the physical side of things i i did have to learn how to kind of callous my my body because like my like the it band started to get really sore at certain points and like you can kind of run through it what was weird was the different ways in which even though I was running with the same equipment with the same sets of shoes, because I used to cycle out shoes, I kept getting different aches and pains. Like one blister would suddenly appear in a pair of shoes that had never appeared before. I was just like, where did this come from? And then when I got injured, basically my, my ankle flared up, which then went to my knee, which went to my back. I was like, for a week, I couldn't do anything. I was like, this is this sucks. How am I ever going to do this? If this is what's going to happen. Uh, and then when we went to Kenya, I got a stomach bug and when I went to Mexico, I got bronchitis. So I was out for a month, just literally with fever. Right. And then we're like, well, now you've got three weeks to basically put it all back together again. And then you have to start the taper. So I was like, okay. So I just, I, for about three weeks, I hit it real hard. And I just said, if I'm going to get injured, I'm going to get injured. But like, I'm going to, I'm going to just hit it hard. And what I didn't do was I didn't step onto the VR treadmill, which is an entirely different machine. It's an entirely different piece. It's not what you think of as a treadmill at all. It's actually a, a slide mill. So you basically have plastic slip-on shoes, like literally just plastic. You're standing in a metal bowl strapped in around the waist with VR goggles on, and you just slide your feet forward and back on this metal thing. So you have to lube up the, the bowl regularly. Uh, and over the course of like, I mean, it basically needs relubing every hour and a half or so when you're on the thing. Uh, but I didn't step on it because I was terrified of it getting getting injured so i basically did minimal training i did like 15 minutes a day in the week before the event itself uh and i kept feeling these ankle twinges i was like this is bad i need to step off this thing 
Uh, and then the next time I got on it, I ran for nine hours. So you were basically in a hamster ball, is what you're telling me. Yeah, running, pretty much. Yeah, that's running barefoot. Good... No, I, I had I had regular shoes on. So the choice of shoes is also really really important. Like I, I've been training in pretty hefty um, Asics, like long distance marathon shoes, and they're very like wide soles for obvious reasons. And the slip on shoes are like these elasticated things that keep them on your feet. And what I discovered during the run was that like they really mess you up, like these slip on shoes. And if I'd had the wider shoes on, it would have made it even worse. So the the skinnier shoes I was using, Brook HS Maxes, which are kind of you know really well thought of marathon running shoes, and they were perfect to a point. But they were, yeah, the slip on elasticated things really. My basically my toes went to sleep. Yeah, after so about an I'm, hour and I'm getting confused here. Did you have regular shoes on whenever you were so doing? I, I had I had regular shoes on, and then you have these these plastic overshoes that okay. are elasticated and sit over the top. And so they, they're just basically things that you slip on and they allow you to interface with the, the bowl itself in a kind of smooth and got it. skiddy way. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay. Now I'm, now I'm, I'm picking up. I'm like, wait a minute. This guy just, did he run in bare feet? Just with these slip on like oh, little, I would have been so happy little condoms feet, on no, his feet. Like what is he no, doing? It's basically, yeah, it's basically condoms. Um, but they're like the little plastic overshoes. Now, and but yeah, it's horrible. So whenever you're running this thing and you're you're into it, um, I'm I'm curious. Like the, the headset had to be something of just an absolute nuisance. And and I remember watching the video back, and you were there was some times where you had to almost like squeegee the thing out because you're sweating and it's it's buckling down on your nose. Um, did it become painful at all? Like what was that experience like? This is so funny because we all the things that I thought were going to be a problem weren't so with the headset i identified early on that there are the the interface between the headset and my face could become a real issue so we we i'd been training with the quest 2 in fact i had been training but i I played a lot of quest 2 so the quest 2 has the stock interface that it comes with which is this spongy thing and it it will make a mess of your face but i i played a lot of pistol whip i played a lot of um I've done a lot of cross training and stuff using that and gotten used to it. And it was fine, but you are aware that like with running, you have this bouncing action. So it would be rubbing on your face. There's sweat, salt, all these things involved. And I thought it was going to be a real issue. Actually, funny enough that the quest two in my, and just playing VR games is how I got to this in the first place. Cause it was one of those things where I was so physically involved in the games I was playing and I became fit as a result of playing video games. I was like, how far can we extend that you know where does this go but the there are other interfaces that you can get which are kind of plastic or pleather kind of inserts the issue with those is that all the sweat just instead of being absorbed by the pad just dribbles off and it's this everywhere and you're constantly having to clean the lenses so it doesn't work what happened was that meta released the quest pro and the quest pro is a very different type of headset so it sits on your forehead and then there's a gap to your face and then you have a, a much tighter strap at the back and the battery is actually integrated into the, the strap at the back. So it's quite well balanced and it also has more airflow because the bottom is open. So you get less fogging. And the issue is that because it's only fixed to your head in one place, it bounces a lot. So what I did was some training runs on the 
regular treadmill where I ran like 15 or 20 kilometers at a time with the VR headset on, which is just the strangest experience because what I did was because this thing has full color pass through, you can put it on and you can see the entire room around you, albeit through screens. But then I'd put like YouTube or Netflix on. So I was running in the meta, I was running in, in a headset, but watching a movie, but I could also see everything around me and then I could do all my intuition, everything else. And those runs absolutely sucked. They sucked so bad because basically the bouncing was forced this thing to flap and to stop it flapping, you tighten it and then you just get this insane headache. So I would just, I would just come out of these sessions with the, on the regular running machine and it would just kill me. What actually ended up happening is when we did the run for real, because the action on the slide mill is much more like a you know, Nordic walking machine than a traditional treadmill running machine. It's, it's lower impact and you bounce less, even though you're kind of still moving a lot, the action creates a lot less vertical up and down. And so it basically, yeah, it, it makes, it made that whole experience less problematic. And then really the, you know, because I'm turning on a loop on the treadmill, you basically just had to take the headset off and unwind the cable from time to time, but the headset never became a problem. I, I was really shocked in nine hours not a problem i could have worn it for another nine hours it was just bizarre that part is bizarre to me i would have anticipated that becoming a real issue and just like chafing or something like some sort of rubbing and, and like the skin would just kind of go um it and, definitely and i mean way. i definitely felt it the next day there was definitely redness at mm -hmm. the top of my by my head but it wasn't like it, i didn't have any of the headache i didn't have any of that pressure headache that i had experienced previously and like again like this i'm strapped into this machine with a belt around my waist and two around my legs and i didn't get any chafing from those either i was expect because i'm always like up against it and you know and i vaselined everything everywhere but it never became a problem i was so shocked i was just i was expecting to be rubbed raw around my midriff that's what i was expecting as well i would i yeah, was expecting happen. a lot more of the chafing a lot more discomfort and this is actually really promising uh, because you actually alluded to it just a second ago is the the social aspect of working out i think is one of the most important pieces of the puzzle and what we went through whenever we had covid and all of the lockdowns is we really lost that and to see more of it move to online was some people adopted it some people didn't but those who are adopting that and me personally, like I got into Peloton as a result of it, like we got the bike and so we could do the social thing and, you know, the leaderboards and everything. And if we can take it to the next level of, you know, doing a metaverse and, and having all of that embedded also kind of in a, in a comfortable way, I'm really interested to uh, to see the evolution of that. I want to move on from from the actual nuts and bolts of it. I could spend all day, like the trip to Kenya and the trip to Mexico. I could do all of that. I'm really intrigued by by that piece of it, and I'll just I'll watch the videos whenever they come out uh, for the for the backstory on those. But what made you decide to to raise money, and what uh, what ultimate what uh, organization did you ultimately land on? Well, it's not uncommon for people to run marathons to raise money for charity. I think most of the people who run the London Marathon are. are doing it for some kind of charitable cause it, it it's one of those physical endeavors human endeavors that captures the imagination and can raise a lot of money for charity and so for me there was a couple of things here one of which was we i come from web3 
crypto NFTs. That's where I've had my home for the last two years. And suffice it to say that there's been an awful lot of money blown into thin air by the likes of Doquan, UST, Three Hours Capital. And it just, after reporting on that stuff for, for so long, and you just kind of become disgusted by it in a way that you're like, oh, isn't this terrible? Like, we, so much good could have been done with the money that just evaporated into thin air. And I'm no way painting myself as some kind of heroic crusader trying to, you know, save the world one Bitcoin at a time. But what I am saying is, like, if, if we do things like this and we are tapped into an audience that has ready capital to blow on JPEGs, can we siphon a tiny portion of that off for something good? And the answer is yes, you can, but you have to inspire them and capture their imaginations in a way that is meaningful. So that was really the experiment here, like just to try and free up some of that idiotic spending frenzy power and divert it to something good. So the cause I directed to was Great Ormond Street Hospital, which is a kid's hospital in London. And it's not like I've had a child in that hospital, but there are two things here. Like when I first moved to where I live now, my own son got pretty ill and he was in hospital and we didn't have healthcare at that point. Cause we literally just moved to the country. It was just, we just fell through the cracks and you realize as a parent, just how vulnerable and fragile young children are and children in general, they can get sick and just how painful that is as a parent and how helpless you feel. I also was a chorister when I was a kid. We used to go and sing Christmas carols at Great Ormond Street Hospital because I was at Westminster Cathedral. And I used to see these kids sick in bed who looked exactly like me. We could have conversations with them. They liked the same things that we did. Everyone was into Bon Jovi back then. But you realize that they might not actually make it to Christmas, that they might die before that happened. And that kind of stayed with me to the point where I was like, at some point I will do something for that hospital. And so when we were dreaming this up, I just thought, it's a not enough to do this and to say it can be done. And it's not enough to do an ultramarathon because if you want people to take Web3 seriously and to give the metaverse a chance, because the metaverse has this toxic narrative around it, thanks to Mark Zuckerberg, then you have to give them a lot of different reasons to give it a chance. So that was the first hurdle for me. You know, can we do something good here? Can we do something that hasn't been done before here? Can we capture people's imaginations? Can we tell a good story? And ultimately, if nothing else comes of this, the fact that we were able to raise $100,000 for charity is a good thing. I'm proud of it. You should be proud of it. That I applaud you for that. And I love the piece that you're talking about whenever you're like, there needs to be a way to show that this blockchain technology is more than jpegs it's more than it's more than that it's more than just a bunch of rich people throwing around money on on dumb shit and i love that you've went to a, an aspect where it's like yeah there's that but just as we said all oh, the video is a tool and the microphones are a tool the blockchain is also a tool and it can be used for a lot of good as well and i i appreciate you that you sort of took a life experience from from way back and made that promise to yourself that you were going to do something for them, and, and you ultimately did. Um, it shows a lot about your character and and about your your leadership style as well. So, um, just want to give you your flowers there. Brings me into the the Web three piece of this puzzle. Um, you do have a project. You have uh, Base AF. I'm curious 
what's that about? What uh, you have? I was looking at the the floor on the project. You have a pretty healthy floor. You have a, a ton of unique ownership over twenty five percent. Whenever you're talking about anybody who's in Web three, that's a big deal. Uh, to have that stable piece of of the puzzle. What is the what is the project about? So I was a journalist in DeFi for two and a half years, and I built a kind of pretty healthy following. We built the channel to 118,000 subscribers on YouTube. We had the benefit of COVID plus a bull run in crypto. So it was, you know, it was a good time to be doing a, a YouTube channel around that subject matter. But what it showed me was that there was a following of people who would be interested in what I might do next. Where I wanted to go was the metaverse for a couple of reasons, because I think it's got more scope and it's more interesting and more varied, and it covers a lot of interesting topics uh, in technology and in humans and education, all sorts of things. So for me, my natural curiosity was leaning towards that anyway, but it's also not Web3 and it's not crypto. It's above that. It includes some of it, yes, but that means that as a subject matter, it isn't going to be subject to the same kind of ups and downs that every other Web3 proposition does, which is whenever Bitcoin shits the bed, then everything shits the bed. And I just don't want to build a business that way. So so with Based AF, we are a metaverse content monster. We make content around the metaverse, looking at different ways in which we can use it, what is good about it, but also just having a good laugh, just trying stuff out using game engines, using Unity, using Unreal, using motion capture. We have a motion capture studio we've built here to tell the most entertaining stories we can and like to try and tell them in a way that you know, just doesn't get normally told, like running a marathon, the metaverse in VR chat. That's an example. So the base heads are a 10,000 strong collection of lunatics who live in trash land, which is our vision of what the metaverse is right now, which is just like a, you know, a, a wasteland of all the bad ideas from Web3 and from everywhere else that are kind of scratching out a living, trying to justify their own existence. The whole point about the base heads is we wanted to see if we could create a third pillar of the creator economy. So like the creator economy has these two pillars, which is build an audience, monetize that audience. And when you say monetize an audience, it feels very extractive. It feels like you're just there harvesting clicks for cash. And I don't really like that very much. I think it's great to build an audience who are fans of what you do, but we wanna try and build a third pillar, which we call share the spoils. Now, Web3 isn't perfect. NFTs are not perfect, but they do create opportunities for us to do exactly that and share the spoils. They do create a visual identity for our super fans, if you like, that we're really intrigued about. Plus, they're absolutely hellacious at bootstrapping communities really fast and then creating interesting ways in which those communities can motivate themselves to do things for a unified cause. And the unified cause in this case is making a YouTube channel blow up. Now that sounds like nuts, but like the more successful the YouTube channel is, the more opportunity there is for us to share the spoils. So we that, you know, we get to promote this third pillar that we're trying to do because like as much as I love a lot of what's on YouTube out there, I mean, if I look at Graham Stefan or Andre Jick for instance, those financial YouTubers, they make a shit ton of money spitting out just basically being influencers. And I called out, particularly Andre Jerk, a lot on the show that I used to make when he dipped his toe into Web3 because the guy didn't know jack shit about Bitcoin, about any of these things. And yet he's creating this illusion that he does. And I'm like, when are you 
giving that back to the people you're just harvesting for these clicks. And it just pisses me off. Like, I'm happy to call him out, call out Graham Stefan. Like, they are very successful, very, very good at what they do, but I hate what they do. And so this is an antidote to that. So Baseheads, they are a VIP ticket to the show. If you own a Basehead, you get a chance to, you know, get the usual things, merch, in, in real life events, backstage passes, but you also get to be in the show. And that's the really exciting bit for us. So we did a VR dating show because we think that v, like metaverse dating will be a big thing. So we did that at the weekend and people from our community could be contestants and the winner is coming to Amsterdam because you got a trip to Amsterdam for that. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's like we're building games where they can win like prizes like Mr. Like Mr. Beast does these game shows. We're going to do the same similar kind of thing, but only for our community. So if you're in a base head, you got a chance to win 10 grand if you can play this game and win it. Those kinds of things. It gives us a chance to, to weaponize our community. And because we launched the NFT project at the same time as the channel, they existed at the same time, it hopefully then demonstrates that they grow together. Like I think a lot of YouTubers dipped their toe into NFTs and they added them on and just became a bit of merch. Whereas for us, the NFTs, they are our community. It's the same thing. They are commingled, which is one of the worst words that came out of the whole Sam Batman Freed saga. But yes, they are commingled in the best possible way. Our, we're blood yeah, brothers. You got to be careful so of commingling things. You do. You do. <laughs> but no, that's... but. Whenever you're talking about a proof of concept and showing people what it can be used for, that's that's another piece of it. You can actually grow your content that if you're tr truly telling the story that they want to hear, you're you're creating these game shows, you're creating a metaverse dating show with and especially with Valentine's Day coming up, I'm sure that it'll be, you know, something that of of interest. And then like just being able to show that one grows the other and and being able to share the the spoils you say um i'm curious is it is that going to be on chain is it going to be just more uh opportunities that they can participate uh, i know it's early stages i'm just curious um what sort of the maybe the the mini vision is on that well every time you talk about these things you you run into a bold man with a hook nose by the name of gary gensler who whose voice you have to listen to so here's what we wanted to do with the collection we basically wanted to create a mechanism by which any adsense revenue we earned from videos would be converted into usdc and then dropped into a wallet over which we had no control that was the purest form of share the spoils that we could think of we couldn't do it and it's it's a bad idea to do it not because inherently it's wrong but it gets you into so much trouble in terms of what you can and cannot say about your project. So we cannot be considered an investment product and shouldn't be. But if we're saying we will give you money through this mechanism and you work hard and you get that money, it's it's too much of a no-go. And like as our investors said, why would you voluntarily take on a primitive like that whereby if you get it wrong, you're dead? because you would be the sec comes down and you you're dead so sharing the spoils means giving away money yes through game shows with the mr beast model totally works it means supporting other creators who support us we want to become the mtv of the metaverse which is a network it's not just a channel it means having other creators having other shows and identifying people early on and rewarding them for for giving us stuff so that could be community grants 
and then there are other things that we can do so we can um we can create opportunities for people to um earn cash i guess probably would be uh through performing tasks so yeah no i, I get it it's if a you tricky create, if you if you create work for people i.e sharing a video and you turn it into a piece of work and it's a repeat work then you actually you're fine because they're, they're, there's a straightforward, I'm doing something for you, and it's my expectation of getting rewarded for the work that I put in, not that you put in, mm. then you're okay. It's when it's, you're just going to do all the work, and I get that. No, can't do that. Yep, totally understood. And uh, I, I can appreciate the the tiptoeing around with, because the, we are so early on, and I do love the Robin Hood type of mentality where we're taking from the from the big and kind of giving opportunities for everybody to be involved uh, with the game shows. And, and that was always something that I've thought of from, from very early on in this was like, we're missing good game shows. Like we're missing like really good game shows and, and like these human experiments almost like, and we bring up Mr. Beast all the time because that's like, even the, the simplest game that he plays is the circle, how it gets smaller and like, over 24 to 48 hours and how many people can can last almost like these endurance feats like you did um by running the ultra marathon in the metaverse um i'm just like i'm really intrigued by the model of of this robin hood tactic because i think that's why a lot of us are are in this metaverse and in the blockchain is it allows for a lot of transparency and in that transparency it also allows us to share um the things that we've wanted to from the very beginning, which is kind of this equitable distribution of opportunity. And, um, and I think that's what you're kind of doing here with, with your, uh, with the based heads. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Mr. Beast has tested so many different formats and like we would be remiss if we didn't try those out ourselves. I think a lot of the things that we're, we're doing, we've got a metaverse twist on it. Also, I stand by the way I tell a story and the way I present myself is very different to Mr. Beast. And I think there's an audience for that. Mm -hmm. um, and like the different ways I'll, I'll attempt to do things, but we're at the phase where we're still experimenting and still trying to figure out kind of what people like. I think that's the main thing. It's like, be not be unafraid to try these things. The problem is like, if Mr. Beast creates a circle on the floor and it contracts and you have people there, that's quite cheap to pull off actually relatively speaking it's not like he doesn't spend tons of money on things but he does for us to do a similar thing and build it in unity and then have it physically uh, able to actually contract right. on command it's a ton of code it's a ton of work ton of testing and if you fail you fail real hard and it doesn't work <laughs> yeah no doubt thing, about it and the thing i have to tell you now is i didn't realize what time it was it's four o'clock and i have a hard out <laughs> oh no <laughs> we're good yeah absolutely is there anything else that you'd like to uh that you'd like to get across to the listeners no, not at all. I think if you if you think you would like to try running a marathon in the metaverse, wait a few years. It's not ready yet. <laughs> Go do Zwift instead. Zwift's amazing, but uh, but doing what I did, no, you know, don't do that. If you want to hold on to your toes, at least anyway. For sure. Well, Robin, thank you so much for joining us in studio today. I appreciate it so much. And uh, as always, guys, enjoy the journey. We'll see you in the metaverse. Take care, everybody. I'm so sorry, man. I didn't realize what time it was. Oh, don't even worry about it. No, get out of here. I got another interview anyhow, so we're, okay. we're good. Thank you so much. This was fun. Of course. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for staying here until the very end. If you would do us a favor and leave a comment or a review wherever you downloaded or streamed this podcast from, 
That goes a long way to help us spread the word about growth mindset. If you're a Web3 native or looking to get started, you can catch us over at Twitter on Tuesday nights where we host the Twitter Spaces at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard. There are unique surprises for those of you who attend those shows in addition to our podcast here. It's a Rug Radio production. Until next time, enjoy the journey. Oh,